and welcome to Catholic Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and we are going through The Sanctifier, the classic work on the Holy Spirit by Archbishop Luis Martinez. Today, we're talking about true devotion to the Holy Spirit. True devotion to the Holy Spirit is something that people don't talk about. We've all heard of true devotion to Mary, and many people may have made consecrations to Our Lady, St. Joseph, or maybe a particular saint. But what about to the Holy Ghost? This is something that we don't talk about hardly ever, and so we're going to be talking about that today. If you're just joining us for the first time, don't you worry, because everything about this episode will be self-contained. Every chapter is going to be self-contained. There's going to be references to things of the past, but you don't necessarily have to have read everything before, because I will make commentary and clarify anything that may be confusing. So don't be worried about that. So if you want to help me out, I'd be very grateful if you hit like, subscribe, hit the bell notification, and leave a comment down below. Those the little things that you do make a humongous difference to me, so I very much appreciate it if you do that for me. Uh, today's uh, going to be actually pretty, pretty quick. It's going to be a short episode today because the amount of pages there are in this chapter is very small. I try to keep the episodes about 30 minutes, but if it's a little bit over, a little bit under, not too big of a deal. All right, let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Come, Holy Ghost, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well-beloved spouse. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us to have recourse to thee. Spouse of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. All right, so let's begin. Chapter 7, The Holy Spirit Consecrates Us. Interesting title, right? The Holy Spirit Consecrates Us. Assuredly, we might study as at much greater length the marvelous action of the Holy Spirit in souls. But since it is our purpose merely to establish the dogmatic foundations for this devotion, and not set forth now in full the beauty and inexhaustible theology of the Holy Spirit, it will be helpful to examine these foundations as a whole before starting to build on them. Like the traveler pitching his tent in the desert, the Holy Spirit takes possession of souls as their most sweet guest. But unlike the traveler, who folds his tent as morning breaks, the eternal guest stays on. The tent he pitches on the soil of our barrenness is something divine, a sketch, a reflection of our heavenly home, grace that divinizes the soul, Divine charity, the supernatural image of the Spirit who pours himself into our hearts, all the virtues and gifts. These are the conditions of his indwelling, that he may begin his work of sanctification and direct us with the strong, gentle influence of love. His ideal is to produce Jesus in us, and through Jesus, and with Jesus, to take us to the bosom of the Trinity and to glorify the Father with the supreme glorification of Jesus. Through the shadows of faith, we will try to get a glimpse of this divine work. We'll pause right there for a moment. I love this image of a traveler going into the desert and setting up a tent. And when he does, he wakes up in the morning, he packs up his tent, and he goes. But for the Holy Spirit, we think of the Holy Spirit as a traveler. He's one that's coming, coming and going. And then there is our souls 
which is the desert. The desert is our soul. Why? Because our souls are barren. Our souls don't bear fruit on their own. So the Holy Spirit, this guest, this traveler, comes into our soul and pitches a tent here. He makes his abode with us. He sets up a home within us. The difference being when a traveler sets up a tent in a barren wasteland, his goal is to get out of there. He comes in, sleeps, gets what he needs to get done, and then he goes and moves on to the next location. Whereas the Holy Spirit sets up his tent within us and then remains with us, stays with us, lives with us. Something that I think is a very beautiful thing. So, we'll go forward from there. To see how, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, souls are purified, illuminated, and enkindled until they are transformed into Jesus, who is the ultimate ideal of God's love, and of the aspirations of the soul, the glorious summit of the mystical ascent, where we find peace and happiness, where we find God. What is devotion to the Holy Spirit but a loving and constant cooperation with his divine influence? With his sanctifying work, to be devoted to the Holy Spirit is to open our soul for him to dwell there, to dilate our heart that he may anoint it with his divine charity, to deliver our whole being up to him that he may possess it with his gifts, to give him our life that he may transform it into a divine one, to put into his hands the shapeless block of our imperfection that he may mold it into the divine image of Jesus. This is something has been a common theme throughout the writings of the Archbishop. This idea of the Holy Ghost as the divine artisan, the artist. And he's trying to create us into the image of Jesus Christ. We don't do that very well because we are bad. And because we are bad, because we're incapable of imitating Christ on our own, we fail to do so. No matter how much we try, how much effort we put in. We rely on the divine artist to interact, to intervene, to put his hand into the work and to direct the work to his completion. So this is why we pray to the Holy Ghost to grant us that grace to make us images of Christ. To be devoted to the Holy Spirit is to possess him and to let ourselves be loved and moved according to his good pleasure. To permit the divine artist to destroy in us all that is opposed to his holy designs all the bad, all the earthly, and all the humanly weak, to let him infuse into us a new life, the marvelous participation in the life of God. You know, it's almost a better analogy to think of someone doing a wood carving. Or even better, a having a slab of marble, and you have a chisel and a hammer, and you're trying to turn that piece of marble into a David, into a Moses, into and any of these famous statues, right? How does that happen? Well, you have to chip away at the excess. You have to have the image of what you want in the mind. Then, of course, you need the skill to do it, but that's 
and the analogy, the Holy Spirit has this guilt, don't worry. And then you have to just destroy tons of the rock. In fact, for some cases, I would assume the majority of the rock has to be destroyed. So substantial parts of the rock need to be destroyed, set aside, crushed underfoot. And the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit takes you and chisels away all the bad, all the ugliness, all the excess, until all that remains is what he needs to make you into Christ, into an altar Christus, another Christ, to be devoted what broad and heavenly vistas spread before us if we meditate on these truths with the help of God's light. We have seen the action of the Holy Spirit in our souls. Now we shall examine our cooperation with his wonderful influence. This cooperation must be a consecration, a word sometimes taken in a very superficial sense. Some think that in order to consecrate themselves to the Holy Spirit, it is enough for them to recite devoutly some prescribed prayer. The prayer may be beautiful and meaningful, but the wealth of thought and beauty it embodies will often remain unrealized. Its influence will be only ephemeral and transitory. It is a good and holy thing to say the prayer provided it is not it is said not as a mere formula, but as a sincere expression of the promise we intend to fulfill during our whole life, provided it is truly the beginning of a new life. I would also doubly this double this and say this applies to people who make consecrations to Our Lady. Are we just reciting the words of the consecration prayer? Or do we mean them? Do we actually mean what we say? Are those words that we are pronouncing actually our own words? I'm not saying that we have to compose our own consecration prayer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not saying that. I'm saying when we pray those words, and this is why we should do the consecration over and over again. Because the first time we pray those prayers, we may just be saying the words, mouthing the words, and have some kind of intention behind them. But as we prayed over and over again, the saints' words, whether it be Louis de Mumford, Alphonse Liguori, Massimilian Colby, those words, their words, become our own words. They become our own sentiments. We adopt them, we form them, we love them. And that's something that I think is very important, and we don't want to mistakenly give God less, give Our Lady less because of our imperfections, because we're just going through the motions. When a temple is consecrated to God, it is a place set apart for Him alone. The greatest possible purity and solid, solid solidity, the truest art, are used in its construction. And after it is magnificently ornamented, it is offered to God to be his forever. All around the temple is a land that belongs to the children of men. The temple is the gate of heaven. The house of God. Outside, one can do all that is lawful. Within, one can only give glory to God. Now notice what he says here. Outside of the temple, we can do anything that is lawful. But in the temple, we can only give glory to God. So we should not be using places of worship for things that do not give direct glory to God. Is it a sin to watch a movie? Of course not. Is it a sin to talk with friends? No. 
Is it a sin to host a major feast, have a giant spread of chips and dip and, and brisket and tacos and everything else? Of course not. Those things should not be done in a church, though. Because in a church, the only thing that should be done is to give glory to God. Outside of which, you can do anything that is lawful. Now, the scripture tells us very definitely that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We were consecrated to be temples of the Holy Spirit on the day of our baptism. This is clearly set down in the ritual prescribed by the administration of the sacrament. The priest breathes three times in the face of the one who is going to the baptize and says, Go out from him, unclean spirit, and give place to the most holy spirit. And making the sign of the cross on the forehead and breast, he says, Be faithful to the heavenly precepts, and may your actions be such that you may now enter the temple of God. In a later exorcism, he orders the devil to go out from the creature of God, whom the Lord has designed, the Lord has deigned to call in order that he may become a temple of the living God, and the Holy Spirit may dwell in him. Now, one thing to note about this, which is incredibly beautiful, very powerful, is these prayers are not the same prayers that are said. So if you went to a baptism recently, a friend, family member's baptism, that may not have been done if you attend the Novus Ordo Missae. When this book was written in the 1950s, the only Mass that existed was the traditional Latin Mass. And the traditional form of the Mass is also done in the other sacraments. It's a traditional form of every sacrament. And every sacrament was changed after the Council. And so the citation he's making here, the reference he's making here, is to the pre-Vatican II liturgy. The pre-Vatican II baptismal rite. Where in that rite, it's very clear they're setting you up as a temple of the Holy Ghost and to drive out the demons from the child and to make room for the Holy Ghost to dwell within him instead. Now, it would be interesting, maybe another day, I'd leave a comment if you think that there's something you'd be interested in, to do a comparison of the baptisms of the traditional form and the new form. But that's not for today. Before the regenerating water is poured, the catechumen is freed from the empire of the devil and made to renounce the satanic works and pomps. Then, when his will is conformed in its consecration to God, he is baptized, and the Holy Spirit takes possession of his temple. Now, notice here the, the ordering of things. First, the person makes a renunciation of Satan. He is exercised. All the demons are driven out of him. Then, he makes a consecration to God. Then, he is baptized. And then after he is baptized, the Holy Spirit takes possession of his temple, meaning at the moment of baptism, baptism happens, the Holy Spirit sets up his tent within your soul. Every Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is consecrated to him. Nothing else may be done in the temple in which God dwells except that which will give glory to him. The Apostle St. Paul teaches that even the most ordinary action of the Christian should be done to this end. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or do anything else, do all for the glory of God. It is not, is not this the ratification of the baptismal offering, the renewal of the promises made at that time, the free and loving acceptance of the life that God infused in our souls when the church received us into her maternal bosom? 
True devotion to the Holy Spirit is not something distinct from the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is soul of our soul and life of our life. And so if if the Holy Spirit is soul of our soul and life of our life, then true devotion to the Holy Spirit is not something distinct from Christian life. It is Christian life. You can have no Christian life without the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. That means you're dead. If you don't have the Holy Ghost within your soul, there is no life within you. Because remember, the soul is the animating principle of the body. And if the Holy Ghost is the soul of our soul, the Holy Ghost is the animating principle of our soul. So we have no life without the Holy Ghost. And this, of course, can be taken to one extent, which is the fact that nothing that exists can exist except that God sustains it at all moments. So that's obvious. That's something that is true of everybody. But we're talking about the Christian life, the life of virtue, the supernatural life, the life of sanctifying grace. It requires the Holy Ghost to dwell within us. For to be a devout, the perfection to which every Christian should aspire. Okay, here we go. To be a devotee of the Holy Spirit is to comprehend the august dignity. That means the highest. Uh, The august dignity of the Christian, his holy mission, and his arduous duties that are sweetened by love. It is to establish oneself in truth, to be faithful to the sacred promises of baptism, to be what one ought to be, and then to strive for the perfection to which every Christian should aspire. For like all consecrations, our consecration to the Holy Spirit must be total. He is master of our whole being because of his divine sovereignty, because of our loving surrender of ourselves at baptism, and because our love gives him full possession of all that belongs to him. Infinite love wishes to possess us totally, without anyone sharing with him. Therefore, St. Paul has said, What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony is there between Christian and Bilal? Or what part has the believer with the unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temples of the living God. Hmm. This is very important for us to keep in mind, right? Because how often do we try to make nice with the world? We want to be friends with the world. We want to wash the things of the world, play with the things of the world. We want to have friends who are bad. And we try to rationalize to ourselves and say, oh, well, I'm trying to convert them. Or, oh, well, it would be good for them. But I wonder how often... That situation is really just us wanting to be with someone worse than us. Because if we're around people who are worse than us, then we feel better. We're like, oh, I'm not that bad. If I'm better than this guy, at least, the people I hate, I'm, I'm the best person of all my friends. No, in fact, we should desire to hang around people holier than us. People who are greater than us. People who are better than us. Because then they call us to a higher life. If our friends and family are holier, then we, it makes it easier for us to be holy. This is why the saints were friends with saints. It's a common saying, even among secular people, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Or here's another one. You are the sum total of the five people closest to you. This is very true. So who are your friends? Who are your family? Who are the people you spend time with? Now, I'm not saying that we should never interact with bad people, because of course we should interact with them. We can be acquaintances with them. We can do apostolate with them. 
but we should not be friends with them because friends implies a being yoked together of having a shared goal having a shared mission having a shared life so we can only have a shared life with other christians now of course this thing can develop someone who is bad it can be you could be friends with them on their path to holiness but if they are intent on being bad there can be no true christian friendship there can be other kinds of friendships like a friendship of utility things like that which is written about in the um several places i'm trying to think of a specific one c.s lewis's four loves that was what i was thinking of all right here we go if then we are to belong to the holy spirit all idols must be thrown out of his temple all darkness must be dispelled in order that god's light may shine there all ties that bind us to Bilal. by the way Bilal is uh satan who we rebuke in jesus name all ties that bind us to Bilal must be destroyed there must be separation from all that is impure and earthly then we may become in truth a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. One fit to proclaim the perfection of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, I love the phrase a purchased people because it implies we were slaves and now we are free. We were slaves because we are slaves to sin, to Satan, to our own passions and desires. But our Lord frees us from those bondages, those chains, and makes us free men. And what shall we do with those that freedom? And if you're smart, you will make yourself a slave to Our Lady, a slave to the to Holy Trinity. Because we know by being slaves to them, they will guide us and direct us in the path of holiness, on the path that is good for us. We cannot err if our Lord is directing us, is directing our lives, directing our souls. Consecration of the Holy Spirit must be total. Nothing must draw us away from his loving possession. Undoubtedly, vacillations and deficiency are part of our imperfection. But even so, our love must not be extinguished. Rather, it must lift its divine flame toward infinite love in the midst of all human vicissitudes. True devotion to the Holy Spirit, therefore, is not something superficial or intermittent, but something profound and constant like Christian life itself. It is a love of the soul that corresponds to the love of God, the gift of the creature who tries to be grateful for the divine, for the divine gift, the human cooperation that receives a loving and efficacious action of God as, as divine love is eternal. It's gift without regret and it's action constant. It is our part to have our heart always open to love, ready to receive the unspeakable gift and to keep all our powers docile the divine movement all right thus ends the chapter uh, like i said we're going to end ahead of time today because it was a shorter chapter but here's the takeaway what does it mean to have true devotion to the holy spirit what does it mean to have a consecration of the holy spirit it does not mean merely saying some nice words it is not merely saying i give you my all holy ghost because faith without works is dead right uh, words if you do not have faith if you do not have works then you're like a clanging gong. So what should we do? We should instead give ourselves the Holy Ghost by imitating him, by welcoming him into our hearts, by making acts of charity. We have to have a human cooperation with the gifts of the Holy Ghost. 
which we'll get into later on. All these things will become more clear as we go through the chapters. And as we go through them, things will become uh, more concrete as well. We get into very particular examples. Chapter 8, so tomorrow we're going to go over practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's tomorrow. And so you may be asking, all right, I want to make a consecration. But, you know, I just don't feel the Holy Ghost within my soul. I don't feel that happening to me. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how can we practice recognizing the presence of the Holy Ghost within ourselves. All right, that's going to do it. If you would like, you can like, subscribe, hit the bell notification, and comment down below. All those things are very helpful. So thank you very much in advance. I'm going to read some comments if there is any. Let's see. Lucy says, sorry, on a bit late. We'll listen to the rest later. No problem, Lucy. And I'll check comments later as well. Amy, Jean, Elizabeth, or Jean? Probably Jean. Amy, Jean, Elizabeth says, hi, Adrian. God bless you. Come, Holy Ghost, beloved of my soul. Amen. Amen. Those are the two comments. We're going to close out a little bit early today since the chapters today was uh, only seven pages. Usually it's about 10 pages, which usually takes about 30 minutes. Uh, tomorrow is also a short chapter, so that's going to be nice as well. So we have a couple of days of short chapters. And so that means more time to read comments if people want to comment. So tomorrow will be a good day to tune in. All right, guys. God bless you. God love you. We'll close out in a Ave. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. Mary, conceive without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Spouse of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.